I have a couple shocking statistics to share with you. Did you know that approximately 100% of people born before 1900 are dead today? Shocking, 100%. And did you know that most experts now estimate that 100% of people alive today will experience death at some point in their life? Wow, shocking. Maybe not so shocking. Because death is the most universally shared experience in all of human history, right? But we do everything we can as a society to forget about death, to not think about it, to push it to the side. I saw an advert recently for easy cremation, where they'll uh, pick up the body, they'll do the cremation, and then they'll send you the ashes in the post. But it's at funerals where it's some of the only times that we actually do stop and think about death and think about our own mortality, um, think about what happens when we die. And, you know, once again, let me say welcome to lunchtime talks. I don't know if this is what you were hoping for today, talking about death. Um, but here we are. Um, just two weeks ago, I was traveling to the U.S. for my grandmother's funeral. And I had this experience of realizing, wow, I, I really never think about death. And, and so all those questions start coming up of like, what do I actually think happens when we die? And, and, and what do you say at funerals that doesn't just sound patronizing or like is actually comforting? And this passage was actually a great comfort to me. And I wonder if, if you thought the same when we had it read. I don't know if it was comforting to you. Do you get answers to your questions? Um, do you get comfort? Do you get hope? Maybe you're left with more questions than you had before. I wonder if you notice a couple of verses at the beginning that we started. If you look down at verse 5 and 6, it says, Now Lazarus loved Martha and her sister, and La I mean, sorry, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was for two more days. Hmm. And then down in verse 14 and 15, it says, He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But now let us go to him. What do you make of that? That doesn't sound right. How could Jesus say he loves them and then not come and allow this to happen? Unless the life that Jesus offers is really real, then this is just, that would be repulsive for him to say that. Unless the life that he's talking about, the life that he offers is so much better, only then could he say those things and it not be an awful thing to say. I mean, people often act like the eternal life that Jesus offers is a new perspective or a better way to live. But if that's all it is, then he's not saying good things here. It must be something more than that. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Before we really dive into it, um, I think it's hugely helpful to look at one important verse, and you don't have to turn there with me, but um, it's John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, and it says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So at the end of the book of John, John gives us this perfect statement of why he's written the whole book and why he's included all these stories. So he's saying, I'm including this story so that you'll believe in Jesus and by believing you'll have life in his name. And so that's a pattern all throughout the book and I think that's a framework for us today. Here's some evidence that you can believe in Jesus and have life in his name. So we're gonna look first at what it means to believe, then we'll look at that life that Jesus gives, and then lastly, we'll look at how it actually works. So first, 
belief. What can we say about this belief that brings eternal life? Well, first of all, it's belief in a person more than it is belief in a doctrine. Did you see when uh, Jesus is talking to Martha in verse 21 and verse 22, he says, your brother will rise again. And Martha responds with the correct theology, the right idea. She says, I know that he will be resurrected on the last day. And Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Believe in me. The belief he's looking for is belief in him personally, not just an intellectual agreement with an idea, even a true idea about him, but belief in him himself. I wonder if you've ever had the experience, um, if you have kids or nieces and nephews, of going to the pool with a child who doesn't yet know how to swim. So you stand in the pool, and they're standing on the edge, and you say, jump, I'll catch you. I promise. And so what's the belief that you want the child to have in you? Is it for them to evaluate, well, I know you can uh, lift a bunch of weight at the gym, and I weigh less than that, and so I think you can catch me, I believe. Or to test out the floaties and make sure they're, you know, buoyant enough to carry them. Well, that's not the belief you're looking for. You're saying, trust me, believe in me, trust that I know what I'm doing, I care about you, and I'm going I'm to keep my promises. That's the kind of G- the belief that Jesus wants us to have. He wants us to believe in him like that. Trust him that he's good even when you don't understand. The Bible calls it faith, but it's not blind faith that throws out the facts, but it's trust in a person, trust in Jesus Christ. And you might say, what, what difference does that make? Well, you can see it here in Martha and Mary's interactions with Jesus. Look at what Martha says when she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She can't hide her, her disappointment or confusion. Jesus, you could have done something. Why, why didn't you come? But, she says, I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus, I, I don't really understand what you're doing. I don't, I don't see how this can be loving. But I'm going to trust you anyway. I can still trust you. I believe in you. And then Mary, look down at verse 32. Mary starts off and says the same thing. She says, Jesus, if you had been here. But notice she doesn't finish with Martha's statement of faith. She doesn't say that, but I still believe. She's emotional. She's weeping. And Mary is, the, is always the more emotional sister in, in, of these twin sisters, or two sisters. Um, they show up throughout the Gospels a few times. And almost every time, Mary is at Jesus' feet. Here she falls at his feet weeping. We, they mentioned before um, that she pours out uh, perfume on Jesus' feet and dries it with her hair. She's, she's expressive. She's emotional. And Jesus, see how he responds in verse 33. He says, he saw her weeping and he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And in verse 35, Jesus wept. So here's the difference in believing in Jesus as a person. He's God himself, but he became human. So he can, he can understand our, our weakness and our pain and our suffering. He's not distant from our grief, but he's in the midst of it. He's deeply moved and he's troubled. This, this word is kind of an angry word. He's upset. So it's not just a like, oh, I'm sad that this happened, but, you know, that's the way things go. He's saying, no, this isn't the way it should be. Death, it shouldn't be this way. He's upset about it. And he's going to do something about it. 
See how Jesus responds to Martha with giving her true information. He teaches her what he, she, she needs to know. With Mary, he's, he's emotional. He meets her where she's at. That's what it means that we believe in Jesus as a person. He knows what we need and he can comfort us. So let's look then at what he does teach Martha. Who is this Jesus we're meant to believe in? In verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes on to describe these two aspects of the life that he gives. First, the resurrection. And this is the part that Martha seems like she gets it. She says, I know he will rise on the last day. On the last day, in the end, all those who believe in Jesus and have died will live again. They'll be resurrected. Actually. This is hard for us as modern people, I think, to, to really believe. But that's what Jesus is saying. Not just an idea, but he's saying, I am this resurrection. If you've ever been to a funeral, you probably heard nice sayings thrown around. And um, the sentiment is nice. They're like, oh, they're in a better place. Or they're not really gone because they still live in here. And, and that is nice. Um, but it can often feel empty. Jesus does the very opposite. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Believe in me. He gives something tangible to believe in. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die, he says. This other aspect of the life that he gives. Whoever lives by believing in me, whoever lives a life trusting in Jesus like the child jumping into the pool, whoever lives by faith in him will have eternal life that starts now. It's not just hope for the distant future after we die, but life that starts now. So let's look now at that life that Jesus gives, the miracle itself. Jesus tells us what it's all about in verse 40. He says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And then flip back over the page in verse 4. He says, this illness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So this miracle is all about seeing the glory of God. And seeing God's glory means he's showing us what he's like. He's showing his greatness, his power. And the miracle shows not just the glory of God, but the, that Jesus is God's son and has the same power. We're getting a glimpse of his greatness. And how great is Jesus? Well, he has the power over death itself. Incredible. He can create life with his voice just by speaking. It's not just a good trick. This is the very glory of God. If you've read the, the beginning of the Bible, it starts with, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, and there was light, just by speaking. Then it says, God formed man out of the dust of the earth, and he breathed life into him, and the man became a living being. So this miracle reveals God's glory because it shows that Jesus is one with God. Life itself comes from him in the beginning and then now again with Lazarus. And then John starts this book by saying that Jesus in him was life and life was the light of men. Everything was made through Jesus. So he can give life to Lazarus because he's the very source of all life in the universe. This is glorifying God because we're seeing that Jesus is God. He says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, just like, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus had told Martha that he's the resurrection and the life. This huge claim, 
So how is Martha expected to kind of believe that or like understand what that means? Well, this miracle is meant to be proof that he is the resurrection and the life. He's backing up his big claim. Muhammad Ali, the famous boxer, was well known for his bold claims about himself, even arrogant claims. You're probably familiar with when he said, just flat out said, I am the greatest. But you might not know the rest of that speech that he gave. It was 1964, and it was just before his, uh, probably the biggest fight of his career um, against the champion Sonny Liston. And Ali said, he'll fall in eight to prove that I'm great. And if he keeps talking jive, I'll cut it to five. He had these little like poems, and he's predicting what round he's going to knock him out in. I'm going to knock him out in eight. If he keeps talking jive, I'll cut it to five. So that's pretty arrogant, pretty bold. How can you believe that he knows what he's talking about? Well, Ali had correctly predicted what round he was going to knock someone out 15 times before that. So he backed it up. So this time he won in round seven, so he was one, one round early. But Muhammad Ali didn't just make bold claim, he backed him up. And Jesus backs up this bold claim by showing that he has the power and authority to give life by raising Lazarus from the dead. You can believe that Jesus is who he says he is because it's not blind faith. Here's evidence. Like Jesus says, if you live by faith in him, you'll have eternal life that starts now. So lastly, let's look at how this all works. How does Jesus actually give us life if we believe in him? Well, remember our purpose statement from John chapter 20. He says, I'm telling you this so you believe in Jesus, and by believing, you'll have life. John wants us to see the miracle as evidence that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and then we'll have life in his name. But do you see what happens here? The Sanhedrin end up doing the very opposite. So the Sanhedrin control the Jewish internal affairs. So they're under Roman authority, but they're, they're religious leaders, but with politics mixed in, which is always a great idea, right? So they see the evidence. They don't even argue that Jesus didn't raise Lazarus from the dead. They believe that the miracle actually happened, but they don't believe in Jesus, and they don't, they don't receive the life. They actually end up plotting to kill him. And that might sound crazy, because we often think, if only I was there, if I could see the miracles happen, it'd be so easy to believe. I'd, I'd never doubt again if I could just see, see it happen. But is that really true? Would you or I be any different than the Sanhedrin? If you look down at their reasoning, what are they so afraid of? In verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So they're afraid of losing their position in society. The Romans will come and take it all away. So they're not thinking, oh, Jesus is the son of God. We should believe in him. They're thinking, oh, imagine what this is going to cost me. And when it comes out like that, it probably sounds a little bit more familiar to us. So then Caiaphas, who's the high priest, he comes up with this plan and says, isn't it better for one man to die for the people rather than the whole nation perish? Meaning, let's just kill Jesus and end this, and then we can maintain the status quo. But it's amazing how a simple person can twist, twist things to make it sound like murder is a good idea. But he does. And, and here it is, maybe, maybe the greatest irony in history. Because in verse 51, John tells us that Caiaphas didn't say this on his own. It was a prophecy. 
So it's not that Caiaphas didn't know what he was saying or that, like, he spoke without realizing it. But he, he meant one thing by it, but God had other, other ideas. His intention was, we'll kill Jesus, that'll be the end of Jesus, and then we'll, we'll keep going. But God's idea was Jesus' death would become the end of death, and through that he'd initiate this eternal life for everyone who believes in him. And the Bible says that we're actually more like Lazarus. Apart from Jesus, we're dead in sin. We're spiritually dead. Think about how we use the phrase, you're dead to me. That's our, that's our default attitude towards God. It's, you're dead to me. I, I, I don't feel anything for you. I, I don't care about you. Um, I, I don't want any part of you. And what we need isn't just a change in attitude, but when we're spiritually dead, we need life. We need Jesus to do what he did for Lazarus. We need him to give us life so that we can believe in him. Lazarus couldn't, there's no way he's getting out of the tomb on his own. He couldn't stand up. He couldn't move the rock out of the way. He, he was dead. There's nothing he could do. And when Jesus gives us new life in the same way, we can't make ourselves alive to God, but we need him to give us life by his grace as a gift. And he does that by fulfilling this unintentional prophecy. Caiaphas said he should die in place of the nation. And that is what Jesus did. He traded his life for yours. On the cross, Jesus gave his life to save yours, and that was the plan all along. He went into the tomb so that we could come out of the tomb like Lazarus. It's, it's amazing to think about that the creator of life itself, who John said, in him was life, he died so that we could have life and not die. It's the great exchange. And it's not just a nice thing you say at a funeral, but it's a real promise and a real person. And he proved his power when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And then he secured eternal life for those who believe when he died and rose again in just a few chapters. He is the resurrection and the life for all those who believe. So I'm conscious that we're all heading back to work after this. All this talk about death and eternal life is pretty intense for a Wednesday afternoon. But let me encourage you, don't neglect what God might be saying to you through his scripture today. If you're a Christian, this is the life that God has given you. Eternal life that starts now and makes a difference today. Rejoice in that and be encouraged and, and live that life of faith. And if you aren't a Christian, I, I recognize these are huge claims. So if you have questions about the evidence, I encourage you, like, ask questions. Continue to look for answers. You can talk to me. You can talk to Woody or Mark. Um, continue to ask those questions. But also remember, it's not just about the evidence, but it's about belief in a person. The Sanhedrin had all the, all the evidence, but they didn't believe. God's like that father in the pool saying, trust me, I'll catch you. Believe in me. So let me pray for us now. Father, thank you that you have power over death. And Jesus, thank you that you give eternal life to all who believe in you. Your death and your resurrection in our place. That you're a person to believe in, not just an idea. So would you give us faith today and give us life in your name.
Amen.